is an amazing group of uh, families up here, folks. We're just so excited. And actually, I got to say, uh, this weekend is baby dedication for us. This is actually just uh, about half of all the families that we have being dedicated. And we do two baby dedications uh, a year. And so one in the fall and one in the spring around uh, on Mother's Day. And so, man, I, I cannot say how excited I am just to see how God is moving in the midst of our faith family and to see uh, all of these families here uh, uh, this morning, but also uh, yesterday as we went through a baby dedication brunch and just spent time together uh, with their family, extended family, aunts and uncles and grandparents and, and all that. It was just a very special time and so, so thankful that they could be here this morning. You know, this morning we're dedicating these children to the Lord and praying that God would come to know and serve Him. And, but, but not only that, we're also dedicating these parents, Right? dedicating these parents to the Lord and praying that they'll be given wisdom and understanding, knowledge, and the ability to raise these children in the way of the Lord. And finally, we're also dedicating ourselves, right? Dedicating ourselves as a faith family to be the community that God has called us to be and to help us raise these children. So that's what we're taking part of in this morning. In just a, in just a moment, I wanna, I'm going to give a challenge to uh, the parents and the families here, but I also want to give a challenge to us as a faith family and, and a charge to us to, to be a part of this process. And so first to the parents, parents, do you recognize that these children are a gift from God and both thank God and glorify God for the gift of your children? Do you accept the joys and the responsibilities of parenting, promising to give proper love and care to your children throughout their life with the help of God with the help that God provides, do you commit to teach your children the fullness of God's Word and demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? And if you do agree with me in that, will you say, we will? Amen. And to, my, to our faith family, will you offer your ongoing love and support, prayers and encouragement to these parents? Will you also be faithful in praying for these children? Amen. And as much as you were able to, to help teach and set a godly example for them so they might one day come to trust Jesus as their, as their Lord and Savior, if you will, will you respond by saying, we will? Amen. Man, what an amazing time we have this morning. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Can we just give these parents a big round of applause and just a show of support and encouragement for them? And what I'd like to do is just pray for them as we go into the rest of this service and pray for this opportunity that we have just to be gathered together. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of these children, for what they represent, Father, that these are gifts from God. As we come into this holiday season, this Christmas season, and we think about giving gifts, Father, you have given us such an amazing gift, the gift of children. These are not ours. You gave them to us, and we are to be stewards of these gifts. And so, Father, I pray that we will be found faithful, both as families, as, as mothers and fathers, as aunts and uncles and grandparents and siblings, but also as a faith family, that we will be faithful in leading them and guiding them and setting the example for them and living for them and in front of them so they might know what it means to have a relationship with Christ, so they might one day embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, Father, we thank you for this amazing challenge that you have given us. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of this community, of this village, if you will, so that we can come together and encourage each other and, and pray for and serve the next generation. So, Father, we thank you for this time. I pray now as we go into the rest of this service, Lord, that you would be in our midst, 
uh, as we look into your word this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to see from your word the many truths that you have in store for us. And Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your understanding that you give us this morning through your spirit. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, before I get into the service, I, I want to just share uh, a couple of things because I know uh, as we are going into this holiday season, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we're just really busy, right? April and I were talking about this. One of the weeks in December, we have like five Christmas parties uh, to go to. That's just one of the weeks, and uh, which is that's just crazy. But uh, uh, but it, but what it represents is how many friends and family that we have around us, and and just uh, how many blessings that God has given us. And we know that you guys uh, probably have similar uh, situations. I was talking with a few of you guys that have very similar situations. Somebody said, "Yeah, we just do it the first week in December, knock them all out. That way, we can just wear our PJs for the rest of, of December." You know, and I appreciate that. That's a really awesome thing. But I want to encourage you guys. There's still a few more things as far as as our faith family here at Cross Point. Uh, things that are coming up between now and the end of the year and and uh, two really big ones this week that I want to talk about one is flourish it's going to be this Tuesday uh, 6 p.m. here at the church it's going to be an awesome opportunity uh, if you're a lady if you're a woman here uh, in this room we want to encourage you guys this is a special invitation to you guys to come uh, to be a part there's gonna we're gonna have uh, campfires and carols and cookies and I say we I'm not going to be here but um, but but all of you ladies and I know uh, so many of you guys that have come and and have been a part of uh, our flourishes over throughout the throughout the year it's just such an amazing time and I think this one's going to be even more special and just a time of fellowship and so thankful for Linnell our, our women's ministry director who just has a vision to uh, reach women in our community for that so I hope you guys will come and be a part of that I uh, also want to encourage you guys, uh, Jingle and Mingle, which is a, uh, an opportunity for us as a church to lift up and encourage our preschool uh, that we started here. And God has just done so many amazing things uh, for our preschool and through our preschool. We're, we're reaching uh, over 60 to almost 90 kids this semester uh, or this school year, reaching them. And, and so this is an opportunity for us to come along beside them, to encourage them. Maybe you don't have a child in preschool. That's okay. Jingle and Mingle is still for you. This is a way for us to support the preschool financially. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a fundraiser where we purchase tickets, but also it's just an awesome opportunity for us to come together uh, to enjoy. Uh, uh, we'll have breakfast and games and crafts, and even a special uh, uh, Christmas guest will be here uh, this Saturday. And so it's just going to be an amazing time for us. So uh, Rebecca, our children's ministry director, uh, she's going to be out by the children's check-in area if you guys would like to purchase tickets for that for your family. I know April and I, we've purchased for our aunts and uncles and everybody in between and, and uh, our family. It's just an amazing time. We really look forward to that. So I want to encourage you with that as we go into, and uh, as we go into the message this morning, you know, this weekend, um, as we're going through this, uh, for those of you that don't know, that don't know, the baby dedication process for us is kind of a two-step process. We do this uh, that you guys see here, uh, you know, kind of a, a public profession and, and, and committing together as a faith family. But also the day before on Saturday, uh, we have a baby dedication brunch where we come together, just the family, uh, close friends and, and aunts and uncles and sisters and all that. And, and uh, every time we do it, it's a really special time. It's just a time to come together, to enjoy each other's company, uh, to, be, to be a little bit more intimate with our families and spend more time with them, but also to speak into them and and just pray a prayer uh, of commitment as a staff and the leadership over them. And, and uh, it's really neat. And I was so blessed yesterday, even despite of the rain that kind of came, came and went all morning and all weekend. Just so blessed to meet so many uh, families, to meet so many 
uh, of the children that we're dedicating, and, but also uh, to meet aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and, and just to see generations coming together. You know, I saw grandparents. I even saw uh, one, one awesome great-grandpa, Chet, who was here. And just uh, to, to be an encouragement to these families, to, to lift them up and to see what, and I think that's so fitting to what we're going to be talking about this morning as we, as we go into this kind of this Christmas series that we're starting today. And, and as we talk about the generations, uh, and as we celebrate our, the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, and, and more importantly, the purpose for his birth, right? And, and so we start by looking, uh, we're going to start today by, <coughs> excuse me, looking at the generations uh, of our King, of King Jesus, the ancestry of our King. And, and here's the thing, you guys, we know that uh, the, the Gospels don't start in the Gospels, right? The, the message of the Gospel does not start in the Gospels. It starts all the way back in Genesis, uh, even, even in the Gospels, John uh, John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking about Jesus. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. That's saying all the way back, and I love that it says, not at the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and so the gospel message begins all the way from there. But I love the gospels because it speaks so specifically and so clearly to who Christ is and to what he means to us. And, and I love how God just masterfully uses uh, the scripture and uses these different men and their different relationships with Christ to give us a picture of who God is. You know, you, you look at, I just mentioned John. Uh, you know, John was the, uh, a friend of Jesus. He was one of his closest friends. He was, he was with Jesus all the way to the end. He was the only uh, one of his disciples that was at his crucifixion. All the rest had fled. But John was there, and he loved Jesus. He, he was his friend, and John saw in Jesus the deity of Christ. He saw that, God, that Jesus was not just a man, but he was so much more than that, you know? I, I love the, the gospel of Mark because it's actually one of my favorite gospels because I love Mark. Like, Mark is such a man of action, and he writes the gospel of Mark like a, just like that, a man of action. You know, a lot of you guys know if you talk to me and you say, hey, can I talk to you about something? I'm like, hey, let's walk and talk, you know, let's, let's, because I, because there's just something in my life that I'm always moving, and, all, and, and I can identify with Mark because that's what he does. One of his favorite words in the gospel is the word immediately. Matter of fact, Mark, he just skips the whole nativity. He doesn't care about our Christmas cantatas and all that, you know, all that sort of stuff. He just skips right to the ministry of Jesus Christ and ultimately leading to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we get this unique picture of who Jesus is from Mark. We also get this unique picture from Luke, who was a, uh, a, uh, a doctor and a, a man of science and a man who uh, wanted to understand Jesus, and he spent most of his gospel explaining Jesus in a very logical way to Gentiles so that Greeks could understand, so that Gentiles also could understand who Jesus is and how he matters. And then we come to the, uh, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew was a Jewish man, he, he was, and his gospel was was to the Jews. He really spoke as a Jewish person to Jewish people to help them understand how Jesus was the Messiah that, that, that they had called for. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And, and um, I want to read uh, this. And, and uh, if you're able, I would appreciate it if you guys would stand in honor of the reading of the word. And, and, and y'all hang with me here. I know it's a, a few verses, but um, and, but, but this, I think, is important. And so we're going to go through this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. 
It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abiah, and Abiah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. That's the jumping one. Okay, all the, all the um, baby boomers know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Y'all hang with me here, okay? And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And in verse 17 it says, So all the generations for Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and then from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. So let's pray very quickly. Father God, we thank you for your word. Even when we read your word and we don't understand exactly what it means and what you have in store for us, Father, I pray that you would do just that this morning, that you would help us to see why would you put this in your word? Why does it matter, and how does it apply to our lives? So, Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word, even when we can't always understand it. Father, I pray that we will be faithful this morning to dive in and to see what you have in store for us. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. So I know what some of you guys are thinking this morning, okay? What in the world just happened, you know? And, uh, and, and I get it. You know, it's funny because we don't often preach through these these begats passages, you know, and, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and it's very tempting to think, well, these things don't matter, but here's the reality. Here's what we know. If Christ, if God saw fit to put it into the Word of God, then it matters. Amen? And so that's why we're looking at this this morning, and, and I'm so thankful for Pastor David who saw fit to even go through this and look at the ancestry of Jesus, our King, because I think it does. It starts here, and what Matthew has to say, both to the Jewish people that he wrote this gospel for predominantly, and for us, God has a message for us this morning. And so, so the first thing I want you guys to see here is that the, there was confirmation in the ancestry of Jesus. When we look at the ancestry of our King we see that there's confirmation. Look with me here in verse 1. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so, so here's how Matthew begins his, his gospel. He begins talking about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And he's doing this for a reason because uh, th these, the Jewish people that he's speaking to here, and, he, and you have to understand who Matthew is, right? 
uh, these people knew and understood that, that the Messiah had to be from the lineage of David and from the lineage of Abraham. And that's what, they, that's what Matthew lays out here. For. In this passage, Matthew confirms for, the, for his Jewish brothers and sisters through 42 generations, starting from Abraham, that Jesus fit the criteria to be the Messiah that was sent by God. In other words, Matthew, he starts off this gospel. He walks right up to his brothers and sisters. He says, you guys, Jesus is in the family. He is in this lineage. He is one of us. He is the Messiah. Everyone knew that this had to happen, that in order for the Messiah to come, it had to come from the lineage of David and the lineage of Abraham and so many more. This prophecy was foretold over and over and over again. And here's what he's talking about here in this passage. He's saying that's exactly what's happening. I want you guys to understand that Jesus, his genealogy and his lineage is being confirmed right here in these passages. Amen? The second thing I want you guys to see here is that there was controversy. There was controversy in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. Go with me again verse, in verse 3, and just let me read a few, and, and this is uh, really important, I think. In verse 3, it says, In Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadad, and Aminadad, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. In verse 5, it says, In Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so, so again, we see here that Matthew, he's laying out uh, for, for many generations, all the way back to Abraham, connecting the dots and helping us see how Jesus Christ is the legitimate is the legitimate heir to the throne of the people of the Jewish people. And so he's laying this out, but he does it in a very controversial way. I, I know sometimes we, we don't understand genealogy. You know, my grandmother, when I was growing up, she was very big into genealogy. My grandparents, they got into this, and, and I mean, they would do research on our family. They would go to old graveyards and look up old gravestones and do, you guys have a grandparents or aunts and uncles that used to do that? I thought it was the creepiest thing ever, but, but it's really neat, actually, to go back and see, and they had these databases of, and connections, and they could show generation after generation how their family were connected and people that they knew all throughout history, and that's what Matthew is doing here, but one thing that's very controversial about the way that Matthew did it is, and back in those days, they rare, if ever, included women in the genealogy of a family and the ancestry of a person. In their minds, it wasn't necessary. In their minds, the blood was carried through the father, and so, the, and so they traced the father back from generation to generation. And he does that, right? He talks about the fathers, right? But he also mentions women, right? And he, and he includes this. And I think there's something very powerful, first of all, very egalitarian, right? But also just very powerful about this because it's not just that he included women, it's who he included, I mean, if you look in this and, he, and say, okay, well, so Matt, Matthew, the, you know, one of the disciples, he's a very forward-thinking young man. You know, he wants to include women in the genealogy, not just men, but it's not, but so why not include Eve, the mother of all mankind, right? Why not include Sarah, right? Sarah was Abraham's uh, wife. You know, if, if Father Abraham, then it's Mother Sarah, right? Father Abraham, many sons? Okay, so... That'll be in your head all day. So, uh, but, you know, why not include Leah or Rebecca, all these women of high esteem that, that are lifted up in Scripture and are seen as powerful and important? That's not who he uses. The people that Matthew chooses, not just that he chooses women, that he chooses women 
are very controversial women. Look at, look at the women he chooses. First we have Tamar. And we don't have time to go into the, the, the Tamar's whole story, but it's an incredible story of God's sovereignty. An incredible story of God's sovereignty. Genesis chapter 38 tells us that she entered into the family tree of Jesus by scandal, familial incest, and illegitimate sons. This is who Tamar is. This is how she came in. It's, it's this picture of who, it's not so much a picture of who Tamar is or even who the other players in this story is. It's a picture of who God is. This woman who is an outsider, this woman who, who uh, if, if not for her, the, the lineage, the very lineage that we're speaking of would have been broken. But God and his sovereignty, he worked all these pieces together and he brought Tamar into the family of God. Here's the reality. There's a lot of people that thought that Tamar didn't deserve to be in the lineage with Judah. But she was. You know who brought her in there? God brought her in. And maybe you're in this place this morning and maybe you feel that same way. Maybe you feel like, I don't deserve to be in the family of God. But you know what God says? I don't care what you think. I think that you deserve to be in here. I know, not because of what you have done, but because of what I have done. So you have this, this picture of Tamar. Second, we have Rahab, right? Most of us know the story of Rahab. She was a prostitute, a harlot, right? And, uh, and, and we know uh, that, but, we, but a lot of times we don't know that her actions uh, in helping the Israelites um, bring down the wall of Jericho. You know, it's funny, we read the story in Joshua chapter 2 and the story of of uh, the, the walls coming down, the story of Rahab the harlot and how she helped uh, the people of God, the men of God. And, and um, it's so funny because it talks about how they walked around the city for days and for seven days and they rang the trumpets and, and, and they didn't have to do anything. They just rang the trumpets and the walls fell down all except for one piece of the wall where, where Rahab and her family inhabited. She, the, the scripture tells us in Joshua chapter 2, she lived in the wall. And every bit of those walls came down, came tumbling down. The Israelites went in and claimed uh, the city of Jericho, the greatest city in the area, except for that one. She was spared by God. Not only did God bring the walls down, but he also spared Rahab and her family. And not just that he spared her family, but the scripture tells us that, that the Israelites, they took her and they brought her into the family of God. She became one of them. This, this, uh, this woman who was a prostitute and a harlot, and, and she was brought in. Here again, we see this, that, that she didn't deserve to be in the family of God by our standards, but God, but God, he saw something different. Third, we have Ruth. Many of us know Ruth. She was a Moabite woman, which, uh, which means she was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. And by the way, Moabites... Uh, is the, is, it was a race born of incest, right? She lost her husband, and, and by all rights, by all rights, when she lost her husband, she was released from her responsibility to her husband and to her husband's family. She was released from all those responsibilities. She could have gone back to her home country and could have started her family all over again and could have done that, but instead of doing that, she stayed with her family. She stayed with her mother-in-law. She committed herself. As a matter of fact, we use this passage over and over again in Ruth that talks about where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Most of us, we think of that passage and we use it in, the, in our uh, wedding ceremonies and things like that where it talks about, right, I, you know, as a husband and a wife, where the husband goes, the wife will go, and where the husband stays, the wife will stay. But that's not what that passage is about. 
It's about a, a daughter speaking to her mother on, making a commitment that I want to be loyal to you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to serve you and help you. And I know that you can't provide for yourself, so let me help you. And so her loyalty, even though she was a Moabite, even though she was a, uh, someone who was not a, a Jew and not in the family, uh, and so she eventually goes, becomes, and, and um, uh, gets married uh, to, to Boaz, Boaz married her and, and, and brought her into the family, even though, as the kinsman redeemer, even though what he did was forbidden. So again, we see this picture of this woman who had no place, no right to be in the family of God. And Matthew uses Ruth as an example, but God brought her in. Amen? And in five, fourth, we have uh, Bathsheba. And uh, it doesn't, in the scripture record, it doesn't actually say her name. We know it's Bathsheba, right? And I don't know why it doesn't mention her name exactly. Matter of fact, I looked for a long time to see if there was a concrete answer. Why? I mean, you mentioned Tamar and Rahab and even Ruth by name, but you can't say her name. I don't know exactly why, but as I looked into the scripture, one of the reasons I realized is she's not given a name, but she is given a title, right? Instead, she was referred to as the wife of Uriah. I think the reason we, the reason that she was titled the wife of Uriah was to remind us who Bathsheba is and how she came to be in the family of God. You understand that she came to be in the family of God through deception, through lies, through adultery, and even the deception that was caused between David and Bathsheba led ultimately to Uriah's death. So not just deception, but deception that led to death. This is a woman who's listed in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing that, that I can't help but take away from this when I think about this is that Matthew, he's doing, uh, as we've already said, right, he's doing some very controversial things. He's mentioning women in a genealogy, which was uncommon. Not only that, he's mentioning women that are of, of much lower rapport than, than uh, other women that he could have mentioned. And he's also talking to Jews about the, uh, most of these are Gentile women. Women who were separated, who were outsiders. You know what Matthew was saying to these Jewish people? Because they had this idea that, that, that God and the Messiah was for the chosen people and for the chosen ones. But even Matthew was pointing out that God is not just for the Jews. Amen? And I don't know about you guys, but we should get a round of applause for that for Jesus. Because if he was only for the Jews, I don't know about you, but I would be in trouble. Amen. Here's the thing, God, he lays out and he says this over and over again. There's this controversial record. It's controversial, but it's beautiful. You know what these, these women's stories tell us? It tells us that it doesn't matter how you started. It didn't matter that Tamar started as an outsider, as someone who was rejected, as someone who had lost two husbands and, and, was, and they lied and, and men around her lied and, and were deceitful and, and everything else and used her. It doesn't matter about that. We look at, at, at Ruth and, and Rahab and all these, these women who didn't deserve to be in the family of God. It doesn't matter how they started. It matters how it ended for them that ultimately the God, in his grace, he brought them out. You know, the reality is Bathsheba, she came into the family, and it was dirty. It was treacherous. It was scandalous. But God proved that he could wash her, me, and you as white as snow. Amen? And so we have to come to the place in, in, this, time, in this message where we have to ask ourselves a very important question. You guys want to guess what it is? 
Oh, what? That's right. If you're visiting with us for the first time, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But here's the reality, guys. Anytime I study the Word of God, anytime I'm uh, preparing to bring a message here uh, today uh, or any day, I always have to ask myself the question, so what? I, I'm sure some of you guys are still thinking, what are we even talking about here? All those begats and all those the father ofs and, and all this sort of stuff. What is, what? So what? So what that Matthew confirms the lineage of Jesus Christ and confirms his, his ancestry and his history. So what? Maybe, maybe even, maybe you're thinking to yourself, so what? So Matt, what Matthew was saying was controversial to them in those days. It's not that controversial to me. And I would submit to you, if that's all that God was saying and if through Matthew, if that's all that Matthew was saying in his gospel, then I would say to you, so what? And we just go home. But there's more to it, you guys. There's more to it. There's, 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 there's more to this passage than meets the eye because not only does he confirm Jesus and his ancestry and his lineage as our king, as the rightful king, the rightful heir, the rightful Messiah that we should bow down to. He also is controversial in his act, but more importantly, we see in these verses, we see the fulfillment of prophecy over and over and over and over again. That is why we read this and we see this. And I just want to point out just a few examples of the fulfillment of prophecy because here's the thing. It's not just that Jesus had to have the lineage of Abraham and David. He had to have so much more than that. The Messiah had to fulfill all of these prophecies that were sprinkled. We, we mentioned it before, right? Jesus starts in Genesis and he goes all the way through the book of Revelation and the scripture cries out about a Messiah who is coming and all throughout scripture there's these little whispers and little glints and little hints of who the Messiah is and he talks about them and Jesus the Messiah had to fulfill every single one of those prophecies or else the prophet was a liar or God is a liar and that's what Matthew is doing here. He's not just confirming a lineage, but he is saying and he is showing to us the fulfillment of prophecy. Look at here. Genesis chapter 3 prophesies that Jesus would be born of a woman, and that prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. It's the fifth woman that we didn't even talk about, right? The fifth woman that's in this lineage. Anybody? Mary, right? Once again, this woman is an outcast. Once again, can you imagine, can you imagine the, the, the scandal as people found out that Mary was pregnant and it was either Mary was pregnant by some other person or obviously Joseph is still going to marry her, so it must have been them getting together before they were married. What a scandal. What a disappointment that, that, that this act that happened made them outsiders. One more time, a woman in the lineage of Genesis or of Jesus made an outcast. But God, Isaiah prophesies that Jesus would be born of a virgin, right? Matthew chapter, in the same Matthew chapter 1 and just a few verses later, we know that Mary was that woman that she, the Bible in, in verse 18 declares that she was a virgin. Micah chapter 5 prophesies that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We know this to be true from verse 16. It says that Joseph, the father of Jesus, and we know that he was born in in Bethlehem. We find out later he had to go back to his hometown, right? Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22 prophesies that Jesus would be the descendant of Abraham. That prophecy is fulfilled in verse 2. We already read that. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 21 prophesies that Jesus 
will be the descendant of Isaac. Y'all remember when we said Isaac's name, right? Numbers chapter 24 prophesies that Jesus would be the descendant of Jacob. Y'all remember when we said Jacob's name, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus and, the, and our Messiah is from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, a son of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, Isaiah 9. Matthew, he declares each one of these things over and over again. He is declaring, look, this man is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy, declaration after declaration. You know what this passage, all these verses and all this is saying to us? It's saying that God is still keeping his promises amen that is what Matthew is saying to us God is still all these promises all throughout history he's declaring to us all throughout scripture and the and the prophets and and the men and the women who declared the coming of the Messiah a little bit here and a little bit there and Jesus fulfills every single one of those uh, I think it's 96 prophetic utterances and Jesus fulfills every single one of them and Matthew makes that declaration and here's the most encouraging thing about that if Matthew is saying to them God he still keeps his promises and he is keeping his promises you know what he's saying to us God still keeps his promises and he is keeping his promises to us that is what God that is the so what of this passage that is what we cannot miss And here's the question I have to ask myself. What is that promise? And it's answered just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins that is the promise he will save his people from their sins Jesus came to save us Jesus came to save even these scandalous women that are listed in this verse the, the ones that lied and cheated the, the prostitutes and the adulterers even the lonely and the loyal Jesus came to save me and he came to save you Jesus came to save the ones that have been written off and the ones that aren't liked by their family. You and I both know as we talk about gathering together as family over Christmas and over the Thanksgiving holidays and the family that comes together, there's just some of those families, those cousins, those aunts and those uncles that you just don't jive with. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's that weird cousin or that drunk uncle or that whatever it is, right, that we just don't get along with. Jesus came for them. And if you're wondering to yourself, well, I don't think those are, well, then you're probably that one that, <laughs> you're probably the weird one. <laughs> That's transparency right there. That, Jesus came. He, what Matthew is declaring to us is that Jesus came for the high and lifted up for Father Abraham and for, and for Jacob and for Isaac, but he also came for the downtrodden and the cast off and the outsiders and those who are pushed to the outside. He came for all of us. He came for the Jews and he came for the Gentiles. He came for the Moabites and he came for the Valdostans. He came for all of us. Jesus came. And I love what Pastor uh, Spence, he prayed his prayer earlier this morning when he, he was saying, 
just just praying and, and thanking God for coming to you that you didn't see fit that Jesus did not see fit to hold on to heaven to grasp on to all of the riches and all of the glory and you understand that in heaven right now there's an eternity of of every creature in heaven worshiping God and falling down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him and that didn't happen after the resurrection that happened before the resurrection Jesus was still king and he left that heaven and he came down here and he did what he did but he left all of that and he came down here so that we could have a broken relationship that was made right with God that's the so what, you guys. You know, in the next few minutes, we are going to close out with a word of prayer and a final song to center us. In, and I'm so excited about this song because it just fits like a Lego brick into what we're talking about this morning. God and his promises. And I would say to you, that all of us in here, every single one of us in here have business to do with God. Amen? Maybe, maybe this morning you find yourself as someone who is closer to Abraham than you are to Rahab. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Maybe you're a person in here who is living a life for God and you're doing everything that you can and you're a, a leader in your family and you're a leader in your church and, and you are a person that people look up to and, and we hold in high esteem and there's nothing wrong with that and, and, and maybe you're that person. You know what your response is? Is to thank God. To worship Him. To lift your hands in praise and say, God, thank you because I know that I'm not perfect. But you have blessed me beyond measure. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not, you, you find yourself closer on the scale to Tamar or Ruth, the lonely and the loyal, the forgotten and the abandoned, the outside edge, the, the, the unknown. Maybe that's where you find yourself. To that I would say to you, Jesus came for you just the same way that he came for for every other person he loves you he left all of heaven just so that he could be here with us it's not just that jesus died on the cross it's that he came here and he lived for us he lived amongst us the bible says that jesus dined with sinners i don't know about you guys but i could use some of that Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you are not in the family of God yet. Maybe you came here with a friend or maybe you've been visiting for some time or maybe you just moved to Valdosta and, and you're trying to figure things out and find a place to plug into and just find something to do, you know, and meet people and things like that. Maybe you're here in this place. Maybe you just slipped in the back door and you're sitting on the back row and, and you just, some reason, some happenstance brought you here. I want you to know that that happenstance is not an accident. Everybody on the back row is like, I'm not making assumptions. <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you are not in the family of God yet. But let me just tell you, God wants you he doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you so much that he would send his son, Jesus, to repair a broken relationship. That he would sacrifice his only begotten son 
for you so that you could know him. So maybe your response this morning is just to come down front. Well, myself and other staff will be down here. If you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, if you are that on the edge, outside, away from, separated, lonely, and need of community, come see us. Let us pray for you. Let us connect you into a body of Christ that cares. So many of us in this room, raise your hand if you found God-given community in this room. So many of us have found community in this place. And you can too. That is a promise that God is still keeping today.